know who I am. You know what I want. I know you're the only one who calls me pretty. You're pretty. Thanks. You are my old friend. You are my best friend. You know who I am. You know who I was. I know you're the only one who really trusts me. You are my real friend. You are my only friend. That is you. You are my best friend. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, February 7th, 2021. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, nope. Peter. Excuse Peter. me. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I jumped ahead there. <laughs> also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and SAST. He's the founder and editor of KissedAlbumReviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FileSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. And also with us this morning, we have a very special guest. Sally Wilford is joining us. Broadway fans know Sally from King David, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Assassins. And we're here to talk this morning about her new album, which is called All the Girls, which she recorded with uh, Rebecca Luker. So Sally, thanks for getting up on a Sunday morning and talking with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you. So why don't you give us a little bit of a background bio for Sally? Where did you come from and uh, how did you get to this crazy city? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm from a town uh, by the name of New Richmond, Ohio, which is outside of Cincinnati Hmm. and a very rural town, um, uh, one traffic light. And um, but uh, my family uh, threw myself and my sisters into the arts and uh, it stuck. Uh, I started playing piano. I took dance, and then I discovered that I had um, a voice sometime in high school, and uh, decided, "Hey, you know what? That's what I want to do with my life." And so, I attended Eastern Kentucky University um, in Richmond, Kentucky, and uh, got my degree in uh, theater. Got a BFA in theater, a minor in piano, and uh, and then I struck out. Via, I, I, I worked at Opryland USA, <laughs> and then I worked at Tokyo Disney, and then after that, uh, I was one of the, for, I, I was the f- uh, member of the um, first acting company at the Ensemble Theater of Cincinnati, and I got mm-hmm. my equity card, and then I said, uh, I'm out, and I <laughs> <laughs> headed to New York, uh, yeah, and you know, I think my stupidity and innocence sort of <laughs> worked well for me and uh, made lots of good friends and people who just wanted to help. And <clears throat> there it is. It's true, isn't it? So many of us come to town uh, <laughs> in <laughs> exactly that mental state, no question about it. Um, but I'm curious about the fact that you say that you are in this very rural town, but your mother mm. was very interested in getting her children in the arts. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough that I went to a, it was a very small um, school system. I, I basically went from kindergarten through my senior year with um, the same people. I think I, I graduated from high school. I think it was just shy of a hundred people. Um, very, it was very small, mm-hmm. and um, and it was one of those wonderful environments that you didn't have to choose between, say, sports or scholastics or the arts. You like the football players were in the musicals and mm-hmm. you know, vice versa. Um, and growing up, my mom, my dad comes from a very musical family. Um, no one was professional, but everyone played an instrument of some sort. So Christmases became, you know, like a big old play along. Huh. And, um, and then my mom uh, was from a, 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 a uh, let's just say it, a pretty poor family, but she had um, dance lessons when she was young um, but not for very long. And I think she just sort of vowed that if she ever had kids and she had three daughters that she would, um, 
just this through, you know, it was like throwing paint at the wall. If, if anything stuck, <laughs> she would just throw us into, you know, whether it was my little sister played the flute, my, we all played piano and I was the one that it kind of stuck to. My older sister was much more into dance and she didn't move on. Not Neither of them went into, you know, the arts professionally, but it was just part of our upbringing. And for me, it um, was something that became a true passion and was very clear that of an early age that I knew what I wanted to do um, for my life. All right. Uh, but my question becomes um, always in situations like this, I'm always curious to see what kids did in high school, <laughs> musicals, football players being part of it. Mm. What roles did you have in musicals in high school? Let's see. What was I? Um, I <laughs> who was I? Um, I did. I was in the chorus, I think, of Oklahoma. Uh-huh. I did. Um, oh, gosh. What's the one of the I was Riff's girlfriend in West Side Story. Um, uh-huh. I forget her name. Where you said, no, or Velma. Yeah, I think I was Velma. No, thank you. Ooh, oobly, ooh, or something. <laughs> um, and I was Anna in The King and I. Mm. And um, we did plays as well. We did yeah. You Can't Take It With You. We did. Um, we had a really a, a wonderful, yeah. We had a wonderful um, drama teacher who um, really instilled a great joy of theater in, in me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I was also on the swim team and, um, went to, you know, com- competed, um, with that and, uh, yeah, it's kind of well-rounded high school experience. All right. Kentucky isn't that close to Alabama. So how did you meet Rebecca? <laughs> Not at all. Um, <laughs> right, right. I was right Cincinnati, right across from Kentucky. And then I could have just gone a little further South to meet her, but, um, we met in 2000, we always discussed we had, I was, I was always confused. She was always so, Rebecca is so good with dates. She could remember, you know, what year anything ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, 2004, we met doing a reading of uh, Jenny Gearing, the composer. She mm-hmm. and Beth Blatt's uh, show called The Mistress Cycle that Joe Calarco was directing. And, um, and it was me, Becca, uh, Julia Murney, Mary Bond Davis, and mm-hmm. Stephanie Bast. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> beautiful show but literally I met Rebecca on that first day introduced each other and then on a break I said oh, I'm gonna go to the bathroom she said oh I'll go with you uh. and um and then we ended up talking we were next to saw each other in stalls and it's like that's how our friendship began that's exactly how our friendship began and that's exactly the kind of sensibility we had for our entire uh for our friendship was like I'll pee next to you I will always pee next to you um so yeah that's wow. how we met that that should be a song in sideshow. I'll always be next to you. I will always be next to you. Um, That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. It's ca- it's catchy. It's catchy. Sally, you were in King David, which was. was notable for several reasons: music by Alan Menken, mm. uh, lyrics by Tim Rice, mm-hmm. but also did it not? Was it not the show that reopened the New Amsterdam Theater? It was, yeah. yeah. It was so that must exciting. have been an amazing experience. Oh, it really was. It was yeah. so wonderful. I mean, the, what they did to restore that theater was remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say. But yeah, it was an exciting time. And you know, I was working my temp job at NBC when I got the call from my agent saying that I got that job. And I thought, oh, my gosh, okay, things, things are going to happen. Now it's going to happen. <laughs> what was your temp job? I worked for the finance division at NBC and I worked for the, at the time, I was one of the assistants for the chief financial officer of NBC, if you can believe it. Um, (laughs) I knew nothing about finance. I just fibbed my way to get into having a a decent desk job that would, that would work around my schedule. They were so lovely to me and actually I'm still friends with a lot of them today and they continue to come see shows. Yeah. I was very lucky. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, uh, back in 2004, did you start mm-hmm. screaming between the stalls? We should make an album. <laughs> we didn't back then. We we were just pals. We just mm-hmm. would hang out together, and she would come and support whatever shows I was doing, and I would support whatever shows she was she was doing. And if she she, I think shortly thereafter, she was doing a solo concert at um, live at Lincoln Center. I think at the in the Allen Room. Mm-hmm. And she asked me to guest on that show, um, and I would guest on whenever she would ask me to guest on shows, and she would guest on solo shows that I would do. And we would always 
comment through the years said, we need to do a, we got to do a show together, you know, but we were thinking Broadway show. Mm -hmm. And then in 2017, Jen Tepper, who was then, um, uh, programming at 54 below called me. I had done a couple solo shows there. Um, and so she said, Hey, we're going to do this duo series. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, let me get, let me get right back to you. And I called Becca and I said, Hey, do you want to do this duo? And she was like, yes. (laughs) <laughs> and um, and that's kind of how it started. And we just started writing this duo show together. And what was really important to us from the, the, the get-go was we didn't want it to be this, like, okay, here's my book and here's your book. And let's mm-hmm. just kind of throw solo songs together that we already know. <laughs> and then occasionally, you know, pepper it with some duets. We really wanted it to be this, you know, fully flushed out duo show where we truly sang together and we started and immediately we also asked um uh, joe thalkin to join us as our musical director who's just absolutely brilliant so we started choosing songs and beck and i would write vocal arrangements and um yeah just uh it was just like such a creative outlet for us and also we're both um good you know we were, we're good musicians and we, we also have wonderful voices, but we loved writing these vocal arrangements and then collaborate with Joe on the arrangement on a whole. And it was just so much, so much fun, very fulfilling. One of the highlights of the album is, is the, is the medley shows we (laughs) shows we could have starting together. Can can I assume that you and Rebecca and Joe uh, collaborated on that? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. 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 And we, we had a hard time whittling it down. We had so many songs in that medley and we were like, "Uh, is it wrong? It's 25 minutes. Is that going to be wrong? Um, Brings a perfect little death. If you're ever in a jam, here I am. If you ever need a pal, I'm your gal. If you ever feel so happy you land in jail, I'm your bail. It's friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship. When other friendships have been forgotten. It's simply that who else but a bosom buddy will sit down and level and give you the devil will sit down and tell you the truth. Mama, get out your white dress. You've done it before without much success. Mama, Godspeed and God bless. We're not keeping score. What's one more? Even includes the flower duet from Lockman. Yeah, really. Where did that come from? Who, who suggested that one? I think, honestly, I think I did because we were talking. Um, we were, I think, a lot of times we were out of her house in the Poconos and we'd be hanging out on the deck with our feet in the water and, um, you know, just thinking of songs or singing through duets. And I, I can't remember, we were, we were fooling around and we both have, you know, we can kind of sing any genre. And I said, and we had kind of covered a lot of genres on the album. We thought, and I said, Oh, Becca, come on. Wouldn't it be hilarious if we like bust out into like some sort of operatic duet. And I said, Oh, did you ever sing lock And she's like, I did. And we just started, <laughs> we started just fooling around with it. And then when we went back in the city and we told Joe, we, Joe just thought it was hysterical. And so we just plopped it in there. 
uh, you know, before, before at the ballet, like you do. Um, so yeah, that was, <laughs> we thought that was hysterical. Uh-huh. Well, all right. Here you are saying that there were so many songs that you were uh, considering. What did you part with that you really felt bad about saying, oh, I wish we could have put that on, but really, I mean, there was just so much room and we, you know, we had to eliminate. You know, what we did was uh, because in the live, in the show, um, the stage show, uh, we had in that medley, we had, um, I will never leave you. Mm -hmm. Ah. We had, um, but closer than ever. Um, I've been, uh, I've been been, here before. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, what was the other one? Oh, I have a love from West side story. Uh huh. Uh And, um, there was a couple others that just on the album, it made more sense to end with for good. Um, mm-hmm. So we just, we, we kind of sacrificed those, which, you know, first both Beck and I, cause we were lucky enough. We didn't know it was the last month of her life, but we were lucky enough to um, work on all the edits together and in all the finishing touches of the album. Um, and, you know, we were like, Oh no. But then, you know, we, the more we listened to it, we thought, yeah, this is right. This is right. Hmm. Um, obviously, um, you must remember when she told you that, uh, she was not well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I was, you know, I mean, she's my dearest best friend. So, um, I was along the ride for, from the earliest symptom of like, Hmm, that's weird. Um, mm-hmm. and then I do remember, yeah, I remember exactly where I was when, um, she told me that she got the diagnosis, which was, um, I think the end of October, um, or the beginning of November of, um, 2019. I think so. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I wish I could remember. See, she'd remember the exact date. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was devastating. Um, but you know, she was just so doggone positive and graceful always. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, but yeah, you know, we basically said, well, Hey, we're going to get through this, whatever, whatever this means. We're going to, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. with you. There are so many wonderful things about the album, but I honestly think it would be worth it if only for the performance and the arrangement of Everybody Says Don't. Walk on the grass, don't disturb the peace, don't skate on the ice. Well, I say do, I say walk on the grass, it was meant to feel, I say. Don't get out of line when they say that then, lady, that's a sign. Nine times out of ten, ten times out of nine, you are doing just fine. Make just a wrong. <gasps> Isn't that David Loud? He's, a, he's uh. just a genius. <laughs> he yeah. is a genius. Everyone yeah. calls him that, and it's so true. <laughs> he really is. You know, both Rebecca and myself, we've worked with him so much through the so the many times through the years, and he's just it, this kind of um, arrangement is just his specialty. You, there's just nobody who can do something like that. And we went. I remember we said we wanted to do that song, but wanted to turn it on its ear a little bit. And we went over to his apartment. And we thought, well, this is going to take hours. And mm-hmm. <laughs> he was sitting at the piano and say. Becca, take that line. Sally, take that line. Sally, go a third above. Sally, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it was done in 30 minutes. Mm. And, and we just, we walked out. We were just gobsmacked. And we said, oh my, oh my gosh, did that really just happen? <laughs> and it was just perfection. And I, I think he maybe tweaked it a little bit after that. But yeah, just on the spot. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, aside from, we talked a little bit about King David and your uh, Broadway experience. Um, one of our listeners here is saying that they saw you in the uh, 2002 production of The Prince and the Pauper off Broadway. Oh my gosh. Yes, I did. <laughs> a Neil Berg juke. Maddie Canty, yes. <laughs> so um, what are some of uh, your favorite off-Broadway shows that uh, – that uh, you remember well, that I was in, or that I were that I remember, <laughs> that you were that in, I remember yeah. liking. Yeah, um, 
Oh, I did transport groups, Sea Rock City, uh-huh. um, okay. which played at the Duke Theater. Mm. Oh, gosh, was that 2015? Isn't it great playing there? at the Duke? It's so, yes, it yeah, it is. so it's wonderful. It's beautiful nice production thing. space. Yes, yes yeah. it is. And Jack Cummings, of course, yeah. you know, mm. always finds some sort of um, expansive way to tell a story and, and, an, and, and also, um, collaborative way. And mm-hmm. this was, I think there were seven of us in the cast. It was such a wonderful experience and the show is so beautiful. We have a gorgeous cast album from it. I loved doing that show. Um, I also, I, I did make me a song, William Finn's, um, mm, anthology yeah. piece. And that was at new world stages. Yeah. Um, and that was really special because we started that in at Hartford um, Theater Works, Robert Gero directed. And it was kind of a last-minute replacement show because he had lost uh. he lost the rights for a play he was going to do that summer. And he basically, he called me and um, at the time Joe Cassidy was in it and uh, Adam Heller and Sandy Binion and said, are you guys free? And um, so he said, I just want to do that, like a, a quick review of uh, Bill Finn's stuff and i had just done elegies with bill finn and uh-huh. I think, i'm trying to remember if i've done spelling bee yet no spelling bee came shortly after the hartford uh uh production of make me a song so we all went up for the summer thinking well this would be just a fun little gig and then it turned into bill came to see it and was like i love it i think this is fabulous and mm. so <laughs> we ended up um coming into off broadway which was so special and then again it has a it has a live um recording that's just I just think it's so divine that um, Schick Boom did um, the recording. It was wonderful. Um, yeah. So those are, I think those are some of my favorite ones. And I love doing Prince and the Popper. I mean, <laughs> I, had been invo- I had been involved with that for a really long time. And it was supposed to be this massive production. And then it ended up at the Lambs, where we all were playing. It was me, Kathy Breyer, Rob Evan, um, Michael McCormick. And we all played like seven different characters, which we would just hang backstage and just laugh our butts off like to see michael mccormick in a dress and fake breasts is pretty funny um yeah anyway and we've done so many shows since then michael and i we always come back to ah remember prince the popper it was fun (laughs) (laughs) um i guess you're keeping marilyn miller's name alive by doing a song about her on your album yeah right i know that's joe thawken that that suite of songs that is separated up on the album it was um they were together in the the show version um and marilyn miller gosh that was and that actually he wrote as a solo um and then we we incorporated it uh we had um turned it into a duet and it was Mm. so fun yeah that was great uh, before you uh, joined the call this morning, I was talking to Michael and Peter about the the, the sound of your album mm. and uh, and how really uh, it, it sounds so full and expensive and <laughs> and and I was wondering. I mean, I don't want to, to take this the wrong way. Um, it was. It's just not what I expected because it it, it just it doesn't sound like a, uh, a a typical album that you get that says oh, okay we're putting out a eleven songs and so my question to you is um, do, uh, were you able to record with the orchestra or did the orchestra mm-hmm. record at a different time or how did you put it all together? This is the mo- this is a kind of a one of a kind story. I'm so glad that you bring it up because it it's just so worth talking about. The the vocals of the recording were recording were recorded at Merkin Hall um, mm-hmm. on September twenty third of two thousand nineteen. That's a live vocal of Rebecca and I singing. Tommy Krasker of PS Classics uh, contacted us after our Merkin Hall performance and said, "Hey, you know what? I'd really love to record this show as an album." We said, "Great." So then we were slated to go into the studio in April of 2020. Mm. And then the uh, pandemic happened, COVID came. So we were unable to get into the studio. And then when we were able to get into the studio, when it was safe enough, it was August of 2020. And unfortunately, Rebecca's illness had progressed too far for her to be able to record. Wow. So we thought, oh, what a missed opportunity. But then Tommy, who's <laughs> just... He wouldn't give up. He said, hey, did you guys record Merkin? And by the grace of God, I remember when 
Becca and I, we, we decided, decided to record it. And at the time we thought, oh, we'll do this sort of as an archival recording mm, yeah. ourselves. But we recorded the rehearsal and the performance of Merkin Hall. So Tommy said, can I get the masters? We got him the masters. And he said, you know what? This could be a live recording, but this is nuts. And it's 10,000 times more work. But I think I can make this into a studio album. Mm-hmm. So by the magic of uh, Bart Michael, the engineer producer, he went and removed all of the um, the sound of the audience uh, mm. from the recording. And then Joe... Uh, Falcon wrote even more. Um, uh, sorry, that's my coffee maker turning off. Um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, he wrote uh, more arrangement. He arranged for uh, more instruments, and then these beautiful musicians from the privacy of their own homes recorded these the, their their parts, and then sent it in, and it was all mixed in the studio. And that's what you have today. Wow. I mean, it's kind of crazy. That is an amazing. So, when you recorded at Merkin, it was that through the house system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds great. It's amazing. I mean, we yeah. we just we were sort of blown away by how well it turned out too, and we were so proud of it. Becca well, was this so is so proud of it. This is the difference between uh, theatrical performers and and everybody else in the world. Hmm. Uh, you know, in essence, you had two takes: the rehearsal and the and the performance, mm-hmm. and and they were and Tommy and the magicians over at PS Classics were able to make this just amazing. Where you know you hear nightmare stories of various bands that can't put it put out an album in eight ten years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Guns and Guns and Roses, it's Guns true. and Roses. <laughs> Guns N' Roses spent, you know, 10 years and yeah. uh, $50 million in the studio to put out eight tracks, you know? Yeah, it's no, no doubt. I know. I was talking to my husband. There was like a Neil Young album or something that took, yeah. mm-hmm. he held on to for many yeah. years before I really took him, or which, or which one it was. Um, but yeah, and actually Bart, um, uh, Michael, he would comment to me when we would, when we were doing the edits, he said, it's just, it's incredible. You and Becker are like spot on in your performance. Yeah. There wasn't really much to adjust and I, you know because I kept thinking okay how much did you really have to and he was like hardly at all <laughs> which was really like such a compliment but yeah like leave it to live leave it to Broadway performers <laughs> <laughs> so when you uh uh you brought in uh your final track be careful and dear mm-hmm. dear Theodosia mm-hmm. uh, uh how did how did that those two end up getting combined together? I um, Becca chose uh, "Be Careful." That was one of the first songs that we chose for the album. And I remember we were driving in the car, and she said, "Have you ever heard this song by Patty Griffin?" And I had not, mm-hmm. and fell in love with it. And then we started writing the vocal arrangement for that, and um, we loved also the fact that we could kind of weave in and out of each other. You don't really know who's on top, who's on bottom, because we keep changing the whole, and pretty much in every song we do, no one is uh, consistently on top or bottom. Um, So we were writing that, and we just felt like it needed some, it needed more. We needed to say more. We needed to extend it. We kept trying to extend it within that song itself, and it just wasn't completely satisfying to either of us. And I had heard a different take on, I think it was a trio version of Dear Theodosia. It was like an acapella trio version that I had gone down a rabbit hole on YouTube and heard. Mm. And I loved some of the licks they put in it. And I played it for her uh, sitting around the dining room table. And we just started fooling around with that song. And then we started realizing that some of the sentiment could sort of fit in with being a woman and being, you know, just the experience of being a woman and also what we might have with the hope that we have for our future um, as women and also the hope of having women leaders and, um, and also being married to men that are, that love women. We both are both married to feminist husbands and, <laughs> um, and so it just, I don't know, the lyric kind of spoke to us and we 
we made it work. And then Joe really turned the arrangement out. I mean, he just took it to a whole other place. It was just, we just were so satisfied with that. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what's it like? I, I don't even know <laughs> what to ask you about this. How do you promote an mm. album like this in these days? <laughs> I mean, you, usually something like this, you would, uh, you know, go do live performances, mm -hmm. do interviews like we're doing right now, things mm -hmm. like that. But, I mean, yeah. uh, what's it like to try to get out the word these days and how have you adapted to that? I mean, I mean, it's been such an interesting time, not only because of um, Becca, because she passed away two days before the digital release of the album. And it mm. was very it was much it was very much a surprise um we yeah. thought we would have mm -hmm. her for longer mm -hmm. i mean i was just mm -hmm. with her two days or the day, two days before she passed away um so in a weird way it's been um i mean because i've had to speak about the album and speak about my friendship with her um it's been wonderful because i've i feel her with me and so close to me and that's been a big gift. Um, but it, uh, and then there's been such an overwhelming response to the album. Um, not, not only because she's not here, but because people genuinely are loving it and playing it. And, and so that's been, that's been, um, not necessarily surprising, but, um, just, an added gift. And I feel her even more so with me because of that, but because it is the pandemic and we can't go out and sing it together or promote it. Mm -hmm. That's a little, it's a little bittersweet. You know, we would have loved to have, you know, spoken about this live sung it live. Um, but in a, in a, I don't know, it's, it, there's a lot of mixed emotions about all of it. Sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, all I can say is that we're, we're going to try to uh, get this out to at least our, our listeners that Aww. they can hear little pieces of it and get over to PS Classics and check out, uh, you know, where they can buy this, uh, this great album yeah. and check out all the other things that Tommy and all the folks at PS Classics are, and Philip and Tommy are doing over PS Classics. So selling they're such amazing people and absolutely sure. everything they record. It's so special. And, um, you know, we're so, we, we are so grateful to them for, for, for seeing our show and then wanting to wanting the world to see slash hear it. <laughs> so, uh, we'll have a link to everything in our show notes to be able to get over to PS classics and take a look at this album. And also all of, uh, Sally's, uh, different, stuff we have her website her twitter her facebook mm. uh and and links to all these other information sally yeah. thank you so much for joining us on broadway radio indeed thank yes. you guys so much have a great day you too, you too. Bye. Bye, bye bye all the girls in the beauty shops girls tongues catching the raindrops all the girls that you'll never see Whether you live in New York City or in New Richmond, Ohio, like Sally Wilford did, you close the blinds on your windows because you don't want the whole world watching you. So why would you let people look in on you when you go online? Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like leaving your blinds open. 
Did you know that your internet service provider like Comcast or Verizon or Time Warner or Optimum knows every single website you visit? And what's worse is that they can sell this information to ad companies and get tech giants who will use your data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. I use ExpressVPN on all my devices. It works on everything, phones, laptops, even routers, so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they don't have ExpressVPN. And the best part is using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing window blinds. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by CNET Wired, The Verge, and countless others. So if you're like me and you believe your online activity is your business, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio today. Use our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio, and you can get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio. We'd like to thank ExpressVPN for continuing to support Broadway Radio. So that's an that's an amazing story about how how the uh, the album was actually recorded live, but sounds like it's in a studio, and it, it's just such a wonderful full sound. It uh, really is uh, a, a great feat, and so happy that it was it was captured. I mean, it, it's a good possibility that if they wanted to do this in the studio, it would have never happened. No, I, and that you know we were talking about it before we started recording and and you had asked about the 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 sound of the album and then i i mentioned that uh that they had added musicians and we were wondering about all that and and sally answered it all so i'm so glad you did ask that question yeah so uh let's move forward over the last uh, bunch of weeks we've had um uh very long shows so we haven't really ventured into talking about some of the news things that have happened and we, we've had a, a number of passings in in, in the last uh, couple of weeks and so I thought that we should reflect back on that and talk about a few of them. Uh, first one is uh, Hal Holbrook who is uh, forever entwined as Mark Twain in my mind. So uh, Michael, Peter, any, any thoughts about Hal? Well, um, I'll never forget when he was coming to uh, Newark to do Mark Twain tonight, and I got a call from his publicist saying, uh, we're doing phone interviews. Uh, you can have 10 minutes. We'd like you to talk to him on Tuesday uh, from 11.10 to 11.20. <laughs> can you do that? And I said, yeah. She said, remember, 10 minutes, and that's it. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, I mean, he had done a million interviews about Mark Twain at that time. So, he, you know, I got a boilerplate about how many cigars he smoked and uh, you know, uh, how long it took to put on the makeup and all that kind of business. And at the 9.5 uh, minute mark, I said, are you sorry you didn't get to do 110 in the shade? Hmm. There was this long pause, and I thought, whoa, I think I just stepped in it with both shoes. And um, he said, Yes, I was. And um, I feel bad for the journalist who was expecting that call at 11.20 because he went on for about 10 minutes about what happened with 110 in the shade, which I'll do very quickly, I hope. And that is the fact that he was signed to play Starbuck, the leading role in 110 in the shade. He signed his equity contract and everything was all set. Just before they were going to going to rehearsal, he was that specific. He said, on August 1st, um, I got the phone call from my agent. Now, I know the show opened the day after Labor Day in Boston. Um, so we're very close to rehearsals, you know. Um, so um, I got a call from my agent. Uh, they've signed Robert Horton, who was a big star on TV. There was a show called Wagon Train that was often number one in, in the ratings. Big show. Robert Horton quit that show specifically to do musicals. He wanted to do musicals, and he was signed to do I Picked a Daisy, the new musical by Richard Rogers and Alan J. Lerner. 
except it didn't happen. Though Alan J. Lerner did team up with Burton Lane, and I picked a daisy. For those of you who know, on a clear day, you can see forever. You know that Daisy Gamble is the leading lady in the show, so I picked the daisy as kind of a nice title. Anyway, Robert Horton suddenly uh, was not going to be in the musical, and David Merrick, the producer of 110 The Shade, signed him to play Starbuck in 110 The Shade. But wait a minute. Hal Holbrook has already had the contract. He's already had the role. He even has, um, he said, I've seen posters with my name on it. And ironically enough, if you go on eBay, you will find a little flyer with 110 The Shade with Hal Holbrook's name before um, Inga Swenson and Will Gears. Uh, It's going for $129, by the way. But anyway, so... (laughs) What happened? Um, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm not in the show. And Kermit Bloomgarden heard this and sent Hal Holbrook the script to Sideshow, not the Sideshow we know. That was the original title of Anyone Can Whistle. And David Merrick called Hal Holbrook and said, wait a minute, you can't do Sideshow. You're under contract to me. Hmm. And Hal Holbrook said, but you've signed Robert Horton. And, he, and David Merrick said, yes, you're still going to be in the show. You're going to be a standby. The thing is that in those days, Equity did not have a contract. At least this is what Hal Holbrook told me. What do I know? That Equity did not specify in contracts when you signed a contract what role you were going to play. So as a result, he could have even put him in the ensemble if he Incredible. wanted. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And he said the law was changed. Uh, the rule, the contracts were changed as a result of that incident so that this would never happen again to another actor. So um, so that's my Hal Holbrook. So he did, in fact, technically remain with the show as a standby? He told me that um, they made some sort of financial um, oh, deal, okay. but, uh, and that was that. Um, and um, no. But he said, you know, I really feel my career could have gone into a very different direction if indeed I had had that role. And it sounded as if he really wanted to do that. Um, a few years later, he did sub, um, succeed Alan Alda in The Apple Tree. So obviously he did have this interest in musicals doing them so um but uh i have to admit michael i did not remember that he did um the stage manager in our town and you were mentioning that oh yeah but to step back for a moment the epilogue to the 110 in the shade story is that tom jones and harvey schmidt forever after um expressed dismay that that robert horton was forced foisted upon them I see. I, uh, I don't. I don't recall if they if they mentioned Hal Holbrook, uh, uh-huh. but, but I re- I clearly remember <laughs> that they were not happy. Uh, they were not thrilled with Robert Horton and uh, Hal Holbrook. Also, uh, did are we aware of this? He was a a replacement in Man of La Mancha. Yeah, yeah, yes, mm. yeah. I I, sh- I should have mentioned that in addition because that again would reiterate the fact that he did one musical theater career. Um, well, I mean, he he must have had. Did did you see him in Man of La Mancha? Peter? No, no, no. I mean, he must have, if he was going to be in One Ten in the Shade and Man of La Mancha, he must have had. A good voice. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is he told me that when he auditioned for 110 in the Shade, what did he audition with? The soliloquy from Carousel. Gosh. Now, that's mm. interesting to me, too. He said that Joseph Anthony, director, was there. Tom and Harvey were there. Yes, indeed. And Biff Liff, who was Merrick's associate at that point. Merrick was not there to see him audition. But anyway, um, I didn't think to ask, wait a minute, you know, in an in an in occupation where so many people get to sing eight bars, 16 bars before hearing thank you, did they let you do the entire soliloquy from Carousel? That's a really good question. I think <laughs> asked it. Because if they did, then you knew they were interested in you, I'll tell you. you know. I mean? But he said what had happened was after they left the audition, he and his agent, she called in. Um, uh, any messages for me? Yes, they've already offered Hal Holbrook the part. So, I mean, he was really f- sky high that he was going to do this new musical. So, <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, maybe he sang like one tenth of soliloquy. Yeah, yeah who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but back to our town. Yes, I remember just clearly watching this when it aired, 1977. Uh, television production of Our Town with Hal Holbrook as the stage manager. If you know anything about Hal Holbrook, even without seeing this show, you can probably imagine that he would be absolute perfection as the stage manager. But wait, the <laughs> George and Emily are Robbie Benson and Colinis O'Connor. Mm-hmm. The oh. parents are Ronnie Cox, Ned Beatty, Barbara huh. Bel Geddes, and wow. Seda Thompson. Wow. <laughs> and 
And if I'm not done, uh, Mrs. Soames is played by Charlotte Ray, uh, and Professor Willard is played by John Hausman. Look at that. <laughs> uh, Carol Lockhart tells me that uh, John Hausman was cut from the original telecast for time, uh, and this was right before he you know, gained tremendous fame for the paper chase. So that I guess that that, you know, at the time, it didn't seem like an insane sure, you know, sure. decision, but it but he is very much in it in this pristine, uh, in, incredibly good quality uh, print or, or, or wouldn't you wouldn't say print because it's videotape yeah. uh, video of of our town that is currently accessible on YouTube. We have sent you the link. Please pounce on it because who knows how long it will be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow so yeah. certainly that uh, that is uh something that if it is snowing this afternoon in your area and you are not a fan of what we call the big game perhaps you can watch our town instead <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh broadway's own super bowl so. <laughs> That's right. <yeah. laughs> so some of the others that have passed away, Cloris Leachman. Yeah. One thing I have not found on YouTube, but I will keep searching, is I distinctly remember uh, Cloris singing the title song from Do I Hear a Waltz oh, on nice. some TV special. I don't know if it was a tribute to Richard wow. Rodgers or whatever. Um, uh, uh, but can you imagine how perfect she would have been for that role of Leona Samish? Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she, um, she, of course, uh, focused on film and TV more than, than theater, but she had a beautiful voice. There's a clip of her singing uh, with the Muppets in a, in, <laughs> in a, in, you know, in a, in a, in a high soprano register. She was incredible. I, uh, I guess the only time I saw her on stage was when I traveled to DC to see her in showboat, uh, the touring version of the mm. Al Prince version and the, uh, and sh- uh, she played Parthy and Captain Andy was Dean Jones. So that was, that was kind of amazing. <laughs> and I will never forget this. A friend of mine, Greg Bauer um, had, was a huge Cloris Leachman fan. And over decades, he had put together a scrapbook uh, of her, uh, you know, her uh, just clippings and et cetera, photos from her, from all of her career highlights. And he brought it with him to, uh, to DC. And because we thought we would be able to get backstage. I, I actually had to go interview Dean Jones backstage for something else. And uh, we thought we would get there and we weren't sure if we would get to see her or how she would react. So at first, uh, you know, we met her and she, she was polite, but she seemed a little distant. And then Greg whipped out this, the scrapbook <laughs> and showed it to her, uh, you know, still not knowing how she would respond. Mm-hmm. Well, she loved it mm-hmm. and she loved it so much that he felt he should offer it yeah, to yeah, her, yeah. which he did. And she took it. Mm. So I hope uh, I hope that f- that scrapbook, uh, you know, now she that she has passed. Mm. I hope it finds a good home somewhere. Um, this is not my trivia question for this week, but I will ask this of uh, listeners. <laughs> I got a call from Richard J. Alexander, whom you may know as the associate director and executive producer of the original Les Mis and the executive producer of Miss Saigon, etc. So he said, you know, I heard that. In the subway circuit, that's when shows used to travel to Brooklyn and um, after their Broadway runs. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard that Cloris Leachman was in Oklahoma, and I think she may have been in the Dream Ballet. Do you know anything about this? And I said, no, not at all. And so I'm wondering if anybody out there knows anything about the mm. subway circuit, Cloris Leachman, um, Oklahoma. We do know that she did play Nellie Forbush uh, somewhere along the way, uh, but that's the only Rodgers and Hammerstein connection that I know of. So if anybody knows anything about that, I would be very grateful if you would um, get in touch with me and let me know so I can tell Richard. Hmm. So, uh, and Richard Jay has been um, doing, (laughs) I mean, aside from the whole Les Mis thing, you know, he, he produces Barbara Streisand. He produces Christian, Christian Chenoweth, Chenoweth and, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, all sorts of other people. Uh, Bernadette Peters. I mean, mm-hmm. a, 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 any a, any diva 
uh, that's out there, uh, you know, is is one degree away from Richard J. Alexander. It's just very... and those can't be easy jobs. <laughs> I will not say a word. Okay. <laughs> So uh, we also uh, just just heard that Christopher Plummer uh, passed away. Yeah, yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, I'm associated with the Theater World Awards, and he has been—he had been so gracious to us over the years. Um, the year that I uh, was installed as the next um, head of the committee and, and MC, um, he was presenting, and we were sitting at a table behind the action as John Willis um, was. Uh, talking and he turned to me and he said i wish people would appreciate these awards more they're so wonderful they're really so important when you're starting out i wish this theater were filled tonight so on and so forth and he was just so wonderful and warm about it years later we did give him a lifetime achievement award and he said you know really i lord knows that um i have received other prizes but this one really seems full circle to me because it was so important to me when i was starting out to get this award so he was uh, the, the sincerity in his face um, is something I will never forget both times and so he was just lovely to me and the awards and I was really appreciative of that I wish he felt better about he had felt better about the sound of music though uh, Mm -hmm. because I think he's awfully good in the picture on that note another uh, uh, link I can send for us to put in the show notes is that Mark Milano uh, a, a Facebook friend of mine has he does wonderful compilations and things and, and fabulous projects like putting stereo tracks to mono movies, musicals oh, and wow. things like that. But one thing that he uh, and I'm not sure where he got this. I've seen a little bit of this in a documentary, but he um, uh, has presented on YouTube uh, Christopher Plummer singing Edelweiss in The Sound of Music in his own voice. Mm-hmm. The, the whole song. This is the first time he sings it w- with the guitar uh, mm-hmm. at the Von Trapp Villa, mm-hmm. uh, and so we can send that along. And you can uh, you can uh, certainly ju- you make your judgment as to whether uh, they should have just left it that way or uh, brought in Bill Lee to dub it as as they as they finally did. I spent yesterday listening to uh, most of, and I have to finish it today, the cast album of Cyrano, which is so wonderful. Uh, his performance uh, in the title role, Christopher Bulmer's performance, just leaps from the recording. And it's a very well-produced recording, and it's got a lot of dialogue on it, aside from... It's an amazing recording, because yeah. it's not quite the whole show. And I mean, I don't know how this album happened um, mm. under those circumstances. Somebody said, well, let's do some of the dialogue, but not all of the dialogue. Or let's just do the songs themselves. Um, I, I can't think of any other show that really did that. Um, but I will say that I saw Cyrano in Boston, and it was easy to do, because it was such a success there, and they wanted to keep working on it, and they replaced their director. And as a result, they were there for many, many weeks. I think it was maybe six weeks. So there were plenty of opportunities to see it in terms of time. There were fewer opportunities in terms of seats available. That's another reason they stayed, of course. They were really doing business. Hmm. And many people say that Christopher Plummer's performance as Cyrano is one of the greatest they've ever seen. And the show, I think, ran 47 performances. That's That, that figure rings a bell to me. I may be off by... Um, 10, 20, 30. But anyway, my point is it, it opened, I believe, in May and the Tonys weren't for another year in essence. And yet he still won the prize. You know, we hear all the time about, oh, people forget, you know, and all mm. that kind of business. They remembered and he got the prize. Well, as P- Peter said, it's not the album isn't all of the show, but it's a lot of the show. And it, it is. is it's a two LP set. Yeah. Uh, so I guess maybe they well. Maybe they, they, they hoped it would <laughs> it would do better, and certainly there were signs that it would. Uh, I don't know what the what the uh, general consensus is as to why it did not run longer. Well, and it was such a maverick label too. A and M Records, I believe. I'm, am I right about that? I think I am. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. A and M Records. Now, this was uh, the A in A and M is Herb Alpert, a name right. that may not mean anything to many people today, but believe me, back in the late '60s, he was um, a superstar of immense proportions. Um, uh, he had a mariachi band type sound, and um, his records were astonishingly popular. Well, anyway, the point is, this is his record company, and how. 
this musical wound up on this label. They also did the um, Boys in the Band album. Who knows? Maybe they thought they had to do two record sets. Maybe they thought that was the norm when it came to Broadway. Who knows? But it's, it's such a, a, a sui generis situation. Well, how wonderful, whatever the reason. Yeah, exactly. That they, yeah, and, and, have more rather than less. And right? you do feel like, because there's so much dialogue on it, maybe they decided to do all the dialogue that's underscored. I think there's some dialogue that's not underscored uh, as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, but it's, it's a really theatrical experience to listen to that album. Mm-hmm. And I, I highly, highly recommend it. And as for Mr. Plummer, I, I, he came back to the theater so frequently um, even though he also remained, you know, busy in in, in film and TV, uh, I, I I saw him many times. I saw him in the uh, uh, the it was not well received the the Macbeth with Glenda Jackson, and uh, I but I loved it. Uh, you know, I mean, I was watching Christopher Plummer and Glenda Jackson, so so <laughs> I I I I guess I was not. Uh, that concerned about whatever flaws the the production might have had. And then um, that incredible Othello with James Earl Jones and Diane Wiest in in which Mr. Palmer played Iago and then so many other shows, so many other shows. Well, in addition to so many people telling me that they believe his performance in Cyrano is the best they ever saw in a musical, Mm -hmm. several people have told me I was in Boston working on a TV series. I missed that uh, Othello, but I am telling you that so many people told me that that was the greatest performance they've ever seen an actor given a play. So that's I, good. <laughs> I remember one moment in, in particular where Iago, of course, is is pretending to be, mm-hmm. to, to have Othello's best interests at heart. Uh, and, and it's vitally important that Iago be believable in that way, because if he's obviously a villain and a horrible person, then Othello looks like an idiot. But uh, so Christopher Plummer realizes, and there's one point where uh, where Othello becomes angry with Iago for things that he's saying, and Christopher Plummer seemed so uh, so hurt by the 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 thought that he was not to be trusted and he uh, th- that it, it it you completely understood in that moment why Othello would then feel bad and, and think well I really should trust this guy <laughs> it was amazing mm-hmm. also uh, we have the passing of uh, Bob Avian the choreographer who just just brought us just smash after smash after smash and and uh, you know he's one of those if only people if if only he had yeah. had done mm-hmm. a, a chorus line he, he was mm-hmm. very very much involved with the original production and then being a custodian for the show with the broadway revival uh but he had a great career other than that as well and he i, I only sp- Met him very briefly once, but he seemed like the sweetest guy. I agree uh, entirely. Yeah, I yeah. agree entirely. And, you know, we often hear the expression, the woman behind the man. Well, he was the man behind the man because Michael Bennett really made very clear that uh, he was such a good editor that he couldn't have done the work that he did if Bobby Abbey didn't, weren't by his side um, helping him along. So, um, so yes, he was much more valuable to a chorus line than uh, the credits on the program might indicate. And finally, in the, in the group that I just wanted to uh, not leave unacknowledged uh, of all the people who have left us recently, uh, Cicely Tyson. Indeed. I rank her performance of the trip to Bountiful as one of the greatest I've ever seen an actress give. By all means, uh, and I'm very glad that that finally um, did get um, <clears throat> um, put on DVD. We're very lucky to have that. Um, so, yeah, she was really something. And, you know, really, um, it was wonderful to uh, look at TCM. They had a nice little uh, montage of roles she was in. And um, they're very good about that, uh, we remember. And... Um, to see her as a young woman, because most of us didn't catch up with her until she was older. Right. To see her as a young woman, how beautiful she was. And yes. uh, you could tell even from those little clips what an expressive actress she was. So, yeah, yeah. The New York Times had a, uh, a wonderful uh, piece on Cicely Tyson um, titled, Cicely Tyson Kept It Together So We Didn't Fall Apart. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and I'll link to that in the show notes. It's really wonderful. It's got... Uh, 
it's got a, a wonderful retrospect of her uh, her talent and and the the woman that she was. All right. So let's uh, wrap it up today. Before we get on to trivia, I'd like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts. You'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? Um, the question was, <clears throat> what Tony-winning musical includes the subtitle of one of Ethan Morden's books in one of its songs? And in Avenue Q, Rod wants to spend an afternoon alone with my favorite book, Broadway musicals of the 1940s. And that's the subtitle of Morden's Beautiful Morning. So, uh, you know, it's very hard to hear, I have to admit, on the album. Um, it, I didn't hear it the first few times I was listening to that album, and I listened to that album nonstop when it came out, believe me. Um, in fact, he even mentions High Button Shoes and Pal Joey uh, in the song. So listen carefully if, uh, if you haven't um, to this point in time. You know uh, what we, my guess was going to be? What? The Drowsy Chaperone. Paul Witte was the first to get it, followed by Tony Janicki, Brigadude, and Ingrid Gammerman. This week's question, very much in the news this week, was a woman whose first name is followed by both her maiden name and her married name. That first and maiden name are the same two names that a character from a Rogers and Hammerstein musical has. And those two names are? <laughs> oh, you're not going to tell me. Okay. <laughs> All right. If you know what those names are, you can email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, in yes. this week's musical moment, tell us uh, which Tony we're talking about this week. Well, there, there was uh, sad news this week about the fact that the great Tony Bennett has Alzheimer's disease, mm -hmm. um, but he is 94 yeah. uh, and has had an amazing, amazing career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, this news prompted me to pull out a lot of albums and, uh, of his and listen to them. There's an incredible um, two-disc set of Tony Bennett live at Carnegie Hall, which I would highly recommend. Uh, but I thought we would focus for this week's musical moment on a, a, a really kind of interesting situation that uh, Tony recorded in 1962, Once Upon a Time, mm. from All-American, although it wasn't actually apparently written for All-American. It was written uh, by Charles Strauss and Lee Adams for a previous project, as Lee Adams himself told us when he was a guest on this podcast. Um, I cannot find any evidence <laughs> online currently of, uh, of any uh, confirmation of that. So I think it might be lost to time other than the um. fact the f Yes, go on. <laughs> well, no, I, uh, I, I do um, know about this. Um, I even somehow got the playbill um, from the show, um, which um, I think it's called what the, What's the Rush? Let me check and see what I can find here. Yeah, I know you've mentioned it before. Yeah, what's the Rush is the name of the show. Okay. Ironically enough, um, that show also included a song called Motherhood. And you know, there's always been such controversy about uh, who wrote what and Hello, Dolly. And so anyway, um, I'm sorry. Go on. Anyway, what's the rush? It was a show done in Long Island. I think that was the end of it. Oh, OK. Well, yeah, thank you for as I say, I can't find anything on, about it online. So I hope, uh, you know, it doesn't get lost to time. Uh, but I guess if we keep talking about it, it'll, it'll be. Mm. anyway, uh, it was written by Charles Strauss and Lee Adams. And, and it is a show tune, uh, even if it wasn't originally written for All American. And it's a beautiful, 
gorgeous song, Once Upon a Time. Um, and so it was intended uh, to be a single, uh, the A side of a single, and the B side of the single uh, that Tony Bennett recorded mm-hmm. was I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, the DJs or whatever got it, and they weren't interested in Once Upon a Time as much as they were interested in I Left My Heart in San Francisco. And so they started to play that, and it became a tremendous hit. Uh, uh, to the point where the album uh, on which both songs appear wound up being titled I Left My Heart in San Francisco. And, uh, and by the way, also on this incredible Tony Bennett album are, get this, I mean, like half the songs on the album are show tunes. Also, it's got Love for Sale uh, from Cole Porter's The New Yorkers, Taking a Chance on Love from Cabin in the Sky, Have I Told You Lately? Mm-hmm. from Harold Rome's I Can Get It For You Wholesale. Mm-hmm. And, and even I'm Always Chasing Rainbows, which is uh, music credited to Harry Carroll, but the melody is adapted from a, a, a melody by Chopin. Uh, the lyrics were written by Joseph McCarthy, and the song was introduced in the Broadway show Oh Look, which opened in March 1918. The song was sung in the show by the Dolly Sisters, and it was, uh, the song was later put in to uh, the, revi- the Broadway revisal of Irene with Debbie Reynolds, except then she stopped. I know. Isn't that something? (laughs) It was the most famous song from the show and she stopped doing it. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I guess she didn't feel completely comfortable with it, but I think it went back in for good when Jane Powell went into the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Anyway, once upon a time is an unbelievably beautiful song. Um, Anita Gillette, who was in all American uh, sang the song, uh, for me uh, in in a show that I did at 54 Below. She sang it as a duet with her her good friend Penny Fuller. Mm. But it's absolutely beautiful. And uh, and even though it ended up being the, uh, I guess, the B-side of that single when it wasn't intended to be, it's an unbelievably beautiful recording by Tony Bennett. And that is our musical moment for this week. Okay. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Once upon a time, a girl with moonlight in her eyes put her hand in mine And said she loved me so But that was once upon a time Very long ago Once upon a time We sat beneath a Counting all the stars And waiting for the dawn But that was once upon a time Now the tree is gone How the breeze ruffled up her hair How we always laughed as though tomorrow wasn't there We were young and didn't have a care Where did it go? Once upon a time The world was sweeter than we knew Everything was ours How happy we were then But somehow once upon a time Never come